I won't cry to be exalted that the world may know that the world may know new life in me. I am nothing. He is something so good that all the world must know. He is true salvation. The only hope for all the nations prepares for me. The love of Christ will always show. I won't cry to be exalted in my life. And all I do that I might become nothing. My soul anew. This world that I'm abiding in, I will not claim for all its sin. I won't cry to be exalted that the world may know. That the world may know who I think He. Christ is not diminished, though the world says he's finished, he's not for how we live in this modern day. But another day, all tongues will confess he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, high and lifted up is what they'll say. I won't cry to be. In my life, and all I do that I might that I might become nothing to refresh my soul anew. This world that I'm abiding in, I will not. For all its sin, I won't cry to be exalted that the world may know new life in me. That the world may know new life in me. Basically, letting Sister Crow go through these and uh, do the five songs. But if I don't like them, I can always change them. Can't I preach them? Did we do that one? I think we already did that one. I think all we have left of this just the slow songs, but they're pretty good. <laughs> and I have one on my heart. Got a couple of them. Brother Crow wrote this song, if I can find it. 
wrote this song many, many years ago. And to me, you can't say it any plainer than this. When justice met grace.
Could see it. <laughs> I know. I know. Brother Crow, the, Brother Crow wrote this song for my mom when I was growing up. I have an older brother, and our brother that's younger than me is in heaven. And so, and mom and dad are in heaven now. But as we were growing up, we'd get ready to go, and she'd pack our school lunch, and off we'd walk, we'd walk a mile. And it wasn't snowing, I promise you, and it wasn't all the way uphill, but it nearly, nearly was. But anyway, she'd stop us at the door, and she'd say, You mind your testimony. It's the best thing they'll ever have for you. What you do with your testimony depends on other people's lives. That's right. Other people's lives depend on it. And remember whose you are. So when we all grew up and we went on our ways and stuff, and Mom... Mom was my prayer warrior growing up, and she was my prayer warrior till she went home to be with the Lord in 2009. And he wrote this song because we would go off somewhere, and I'd call and talk to her a few minutes, and she'd say, Well, baby, just know that if the Lord takes me before you get back, well, you just know I'll be on the other shore waiting for you. And Hallelujah. She and Dad are there, and but you know what? The one that I want to see before anybody else, the one that made it possible, and that's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's Ooh. what this song talks Amen. about. It's a place on another shore. I like it. There's a home waiting for me In a land with a crystal sea Gates of pearl, a street of gold And the tree of life Like the ones who have gone before Stepping through eternity's door Happiness, joy
that's what home is going to look like. And I want to tell you what we're going to do as the saved in Christ when we get there. Well, I hope you're going with us. Yes, amen. When we get to that other land, there will be a heavenly band. Come on. Lifting praises to our Lord. And the King of Kings. Amen. Will be where He brought us from. Confirms it's finished. Nothing else to be done. We'll take our place and amazing grace. We will see. Amen. Jesus went to prepare a place on another shore. tell you folks is it's, it's going to be the greatest day you know but a lot of people say well my greatest day was when I got saved but you know uh, when I see him and he sees me and I get to say hi amen Okay, you want this one? Okay. I like this one. This one he wrote for my dad. Dad, uh, my goodness, what can I say? Dad always carried a pocket full, just a pocket full of those gospel tracks. He irritated everybody. I mean, (laughs) he would go to Walmart just to walk around and pass out gospel tracks, you know. And uh, Dad went home to be with the Lord in 2018. He had... uh, he had cancer, and but that he caught he caught the flu, pneumonia, and that's what took him home. Well, it was the Lord that took him home. But they said that he was in hospice for about two weeks, and those two weeks that he was there, he passed out well over about two three hundred tracks, just laying in bed. Everybody, the nurses would come in, they they get a track. They'd come back in, they get another track. Some visitors come, they get a track, and he would always ask. Where are you going when you die? Do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? And that, that's a legacy. And I'm so thankful for that. And, and, but this was his favorite song, and now he's there, but it says, I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. Amen. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. God has given a calling, His word and song. 
the locomotive that is super strong. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. Some people don't understand the road we take. So what we say and do is for Christ's sake. That settle it. My, for we know that our Father's return is nigh. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. God has given a calling, His word and song. Like a locomotive that is super strong. I'm going to keep going. Until I'm gone. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? People say we are silly to follow Christ. Living by faith in Him is too high a price. To follow who we can't see, who may or may not be. Is the mark of a foolish man praying on his knees. But I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. God has given a calling, His word and song. Like a locomotive that is super strong. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. God has given a calling, His word and song. Like a locomotive that is super strong. I'm going to keep going until I'm gone. I'm going to keep going until I'm Amen. One more, right? We haven't done this one, but yeah, that's the this one, one of our favorites because you're going to keep going for one reason. Someday. Eternity is going to hit, hit us. And there won't be any more time. Amen? And all I can tell you folks is, you better be ready. Because I am ready. And I'm going to go home. And by the way, I won't even take my 42-foot trailer. Amen? I'm not going to take it because it doesn't matter. All that matters is that God is going to say, Come, son. Come. It's over. Listen to this. Out of time into eternity.
to eternity. My ransomed soul shall there forever be, where grace and mercy held the door for me to enter in to God's sweet rest. One thousand years within His arms of love is just a day in that home above. I can't wait till I will be out of time into eternity. Eternity lasts forever where there's no time. Ties can't be severed. All the same, rejoicing and praising over Resounding everywhere For on His throne Is Jesus the Lamb who cares With With eternal hope We wait to see Out of time is through Eternity Man, I think about that I'm blessed Are you blessed too? Hallelujah With man no more, his choice to live or die forevermore is what binds and seals his fate. Now is the time to know with Christ you stand that no man can pluck you from his hand. The day will come when men will be out of time in Eternity, eternity lasts forever, where there's no time, ties can't be severed, all the same, rejoicing and praising over there. Holy, 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 resounding everywhere. For on His throne is Jesus, the Lamb who cares, with eternal hope. We wait to be out of time and through song when justice met grace wow wow what a song let's take our bibles if you will turn to first timothy chapter number four we're going to be brief tonight i understand the lateness of the hour and uh want to encourage you to be praying for the crows that will be leaving in the morning <clears throat> and traveling. And uh, 
it's fitting that they sung the song that they were going to just keep going on and uh, keep keep on till the Lord calls them home. And uh, there are some people in this life that uh, they finish well. And that ought to be our heart's desire. It really should. That we finish well. Anybody can put on an act for a while and try to be something in front of people. But to go through years and years of being steadfast and consistent and then to finish well is certainly something that I believe honors the Lord and is a delight to His heart. And I'll tell you this, it encourages those of us that are left behind and uh, to keep on keeping on. If someone else can do it with the grace of God and His strength, then maybe I can and maybe you can. And uh, it ought to be our heart's desire. First Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 1, we're just going to read one verse of Scripture this evening to get into the lesson. Now the Spirit, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit of God here, says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared, with a hot iron. Father, we pray that You'll bless the preaching, the teaching of Your Word tonight as we take some time to look into some things. To Lord, I pray, will give us a burden uh, for folks that oftentimes we cast aside, we don't have time for, we don't have the patience for. Perhaps we don't have enough Bible knowledge to feel like we can talk with them. Lord, whatever the reason is, it seems like for far too often we uh, miss the opportunities that are afforded us to talk with and to help uh, those that are lost in doctrinal error. And Lord, they truly believe in their hearts and in their minds that they're saved. And yet, the truth is, Lord, they will be lost. I pray that you would guide and direct our steps as we take some time these next several weeks to look into this. And may you burden our hearts. May you give us understanding and and at least a a framework to build uh, our knowledge and our understanding of Scripture on. And may the Holy Spirit of God direct our steps as we take time to look into this matter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, began last week dealing with the topic and the subject of Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, a lot of times, I was talking with somebody just a week, a little over a week ago, <clears throat> that said that a Jehovah's Witness had come to their door, uh, that when a Jehovah's Witness comes to their door, that they just tell them that they're not interested and, and close the door. And I thought, what a, what a loss of opportunity. Uh, here's somebody wanting to talk to them, to us about Jesus. And even though they are wrong on Him, they, they want to talk to us about it. And uh, we, we tell them that we don't have time or that we don't want to have the opportunity to do such a thing. Paul is teaching young Timothy in chapter 4, verse number 1. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. In other words, uh, there certainly is a, an emphasis that is, that is pointed out here that the Holy Spirit of God is drawing to this issue. And the issue is this, that in the latter times, 
Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, we've talked a few times, we talked several months ago, we taught a series, about ten or so weeks, I think it was, on the Mormons and how to reach them, what they believe, what are some of the things we can do to try to share the gospel with them and show them the error of their ways. But the truth is, these people truly believe, as strongly as you and I believe, that the doctrine we hold to is truth. These folks are just as convinced. They, they believe very strongly on this. In their religion, in their, in, in their uh, belief system, they are taught not to give ear to uh, nor to read anything that is not published by, or that is anti, not, pu- not, not published by, but is anti or against the doctrine of the Watchtower Society. If they do so, they can be uh, lost. They'll go uh, to this, uh, the, they don't believe in hell, but they'll get to the place where they believe that once they're dead, it's the end of everything. They can't live forever. They can't be in heaven. They can't uh, be in paradise, what they consider to be paradise on earth. Um, they can't do those things. And so it's a fear-based religion. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week and gave a little bit of background. It was started by uh, Charles Taze Russell. Uh, and uh, Charles Taze Russell was born... Uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, close to uh, the same place where Joseph Smith was born, who was the founder of the Mormon movement. In that area, there was a lot of um, mysticism, a lot of the occult practices going on during the time that these fellows were born and being raised. And so Charles Taze Russell started a uh, Bible study, what what he called a Bible study, and um, he disagreed with a lot of the, the... doctrine of the faith. He was raised in uh, pres- mostly Presbyterian influences, and there are, certainly are some doctrinal differences there, uh, but he disagreed with a lot of what they were teaching. And so he began to come up with his own doctrine and his own ideas of Scripture. And uh, he does uh, say in his early writings that he believes uh, in, the, in the Scriptures, that they are the source of faith and that they're the source of bringing someone to Christ, his problem was that he felt that the Scriptures were mistranslated. Now, I want to spend a moment on this, and I know we've talked at length about this, and several times throughout the year uh, we have messages on this, why we hold to the King James Version of Scripture. And, folks, it does matter. Things that are different are not the same. And you get people out here that says, well, it doesn't matter as long as you have a Bible. No, no, you've got to have the Bible. Uh, and it does matter. Uh, I'm very careful, and I, I, I know that there are good men and well-intentioned men and sincere men out there that will, either because they've heard this before from somewhere else, uh, maybe they were taught it at college, maybe they were taught it in a, a Bible conference, most of them read it or, or got it somewhere else, they didn't just read Scripture and come to this conclusion. Uh, but they will say, uh, when they're reading something in Scripture, they will say something like this. Now, this word is not the best translation. Here's a better translation of this word. And folks, every time that someone does that with our King James Bible, they undermine the very authority that we preach from. Even one word of it that changes causes us to doubt others in it. And if we don't have, if our doctrine, if, if we as Baptists hold to the fact that this book is our sole and only authority of faith and practice. And that our doctrine has to come from this book. And we want to be pure in our doctrine. 
then we must of necessity have a pure word. If we can't trust our word, we can never trust our doctrine. It's vitally important that we believe and hold to the fact that there is not only uh, a preserved Word of God out there that is infallible, it is inspired, and it is supernaturally preserved by God without error, but we believe it to be in the King James Version of Scripture. It is so vitally important that we hold to this. Now, there are two main lines of, of history. You have those that have held historically to the Baptistic doctrines that we hold to today that have come down through the line of the apostles and uh, have always held to the fact that their doctrine must come from this book. And so they were very cautious. They were very careful. The, 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 the care that they took to write, handwrite manuscripts, copies of, the, of this, these scriptures was beyond anything you and I could even imagine in this day. Uh, if they made one error on the page, they didn't even draw a line through it and continue. They threw the page away and started over. Many of the scribes, it was said, would take an entire day of daylight hours from sunup till sundown to write just one single page of Scripture. This is the care with which they were tra- translating or, or, or uh, transcribing these Scriptures to make copies of them. The reason they went to such pains was because they believed that their doctrine had to be pure and therefore it had to come from a pure word. There's another group of folks that started around the time of the apostles, and the apostles throughout the New Testament are warning against these. Paul is teaching Timothy on this, that there are going to come in these last days, there's going to, uh, there's going to be these folks that are going to give heed to seducing spirits. They're going to heed the doctrines of devils, and there are going to be false teachers that are going to crop up between them. And these were men who had a doctrine that they believed in, And they did not agree with the Scriptures. And so rather than say we need to correct our doctrine because it disagrees with Scripture, they came and said we need to change the Bible to match our doctrine. And there's only two lines throughout history. You can look at them. We as Baptists are not Protestant. I know oftentimes we're grouped into that group. But we did not come out of the Roman Catholic Church. We were never part of them. Uh, and so we held to this line of purity of Scripture, purity of doctrine. The other line that took off was following after the line of the Catholic Church, who under the, uh, the uh, direction of Origen in, in the, in the mid-first, uh, second, uh, second century, excuse me, they, he, he decided that uh, the, the doctrine that he held to did not match the Scriptures, so he changed the Scriptures over 30,000 different places. Every other version of Scripture other than our King James Bible, our old, by the way, King James Bible, comes from manuscripts that are derived from the line of manuscripts that came from origin. Later on, they were uh, re-amended by Jerome uh, under the direction of the Roman Catholic Church around the Middle Ages, and uh, another 5,000 changes were made, and he used all the works of origin to make those changes. Vitally, vitally important. It does matter. It does make a difference. Some people say, well, I use the New King James. And they say that the New King James is just kind of modernizing the language of the Old King James. That's not true, first of all. They have actually compared with other versions of Scripture and come up with some other uh, ways to write the words. So that's a falsehood. Secondly, these words that are being changed, like the these and the thous, do make a difference. 
They can actually change doctrine, believe it or not. There, you, you, you research the importance of the these and the thous and how precise they are in expressing whether it's a singular or a plural. And then tell me it doesn't matter in your doctrine. It makes a difference. Paul's warning Timothy, there's going to come a group of folks. The Jehovah's Witnesses are led by Charles Taze Russell to doubt the Scriptures. In the early days, he began to write a bunch of lessons and started his own Bible study. And he wrote a series of lessons called Studies in Scripture. That's the name of it. It's a six-volume set. You still get it today. You can still buy it, I think, on Amazon. You can still get a hold of them. His comment, Charles Taze Russell's comment about his writings on the studies in Scriptures were this, that his writings brought understanding of the Scriptures, and since it gave a clearer understanding of the Scriptures than the Scriptures themselves, that there was no need to even read the Scriptures. Those were the words of Charles Russell. He said, you don't even need to read your Bible. Just read the studies in Scriptures that I have written, because it brings more illumination. Their doctrine got corrupted. He had a large influence from the Adventists that were in the area. There are numbers of sources that say he was a part of the Knights Templar and the Masonic group, which obviously is an occultish movement, and and certainly had those tendencies and those influences, much like Joseph Smith did in the beginning of Mormonism. You cannot play around with devilish, and demonic type of uh, influences and not expect there to be corruption of your beliefs. You can't do it. So he, he established a publications and he began to publish not only his studies in Scripture, but in magazines, periodicals. He began to write, or to write some things and publish them. And he started a publishing company. And uh, it was known as the Zion's Watchtower Track Society. Nowadays it's known as the uh, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, because uh, they eventually wrote their own translation of Scripture. And this is a, a, a very clear picture of a group who said, here's what our doctrine is, and we've got to correct the Bible to match our doctrine. And so they wrote what was called the New World Translation. Even among scholars that do not believe the way we believe as Baptists, that are linguistic scholars, they even say is one of the most corrupt and perverted uh, translations that they had ever seen. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses put a big emphasis on the Greek, and they claim that they have more superior understanding and knowledge because of the Greek language. Can I tell you this? I took two years of Greek. I can understand Greek. I can, I can translate. I've got a Greek New Testament on my shelf at the house. I'll tell you how often I've used it in the last 20 years. I could probably count on one hand. Because most of you here don't speak Greek. In fact, the truth is, I don't speak Koine Greek. It's a lost spoken language. It's only a, a, a written language at this point. We don't even speak it the way that it's, it was originally spoken. And even if I did bring a Greek Bible to, the, to this pulpit and begin to read the text to you, how many of you would understand it? Paul spoke about this when he was dealing with the issue of uh, the church at Corinth that were using uh, unknown tongues. He says the whole reason for tongues is to bring the gospel, is to edify the church, is to help people understand scriptures. 
when it comes to an unknown tongue and there's no one there that can understand that, then it does no profit at all. It doesn't edify the church. It doesn't build people up. It doesn't help people. And, and, and to try to come and say, well, the Greek says this, or it's a better translation to say this, can I tell you this? Every single time we do that, we erode the foundation of the very truth that we're trying to preach. At that point, it becomes now the opinion of the person who's standing and teaching it. And there is no authority saying, thus saith the Lord. It, it matters. It absolutely matters. This is where the Jehovah's Witnesses have come from. They believe a lot of things. I gave you a number of them last week. I'm not going to go through all of those again. But I will give you a few of the ones that I think are, are most notable. They, they deny uh, the Trinity. Uh, they do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus is, uh, is God Himself. Uh, God the Son. They believe He's a created being. They started off as Michael, the archangel. And that when He was born on earth, He became Jesus. That when He died in the grave, that He never did rise physically, that His body just disintegrated in the grave. That it was a spiritual resurrection where He again becomes somehow Michael, the archangel, and ascends back to heaven. And this is what they believe. Uh, they uh, do not believe that He's God. They believe that the Holy Spirit of God is not a person. That He's just the active force of God. They believe that Jesus Christ returned in 1914, but it wasn't a visible presence. They, they believe that He came as an invisible return and that we are living in those end times. Um, and that He's ruling in His kingdom, His thousand-year reign, from uh, the headquarters of the Watchtower Society in New York City. There's a group of eight men that are the council uh, that uh, kind of guides them and sets their doctrine in place. And what's amazing is how often their doctrine changes and contradicts their early doctrine. And so if they believed that they had the truth back then, and their doctrine today is in contradiction to that truth, then one or the other is not true. How do you know which one is? You don't. I'm not saying this to be critical of the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm trying to say this is what they believe. This is how they are. They are lost. They need Christ. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in eternal punishment. They don't go to war. They don't vote. They don't celebrate Easter. They don't celebrate Christmas. They don't celebrate birthdays. They do not allow any reading or listening to anything that is anti-Watchtower. If you try to, if you try to put doubt in their mind on their doctrine and they catch on to what you're trying to do, they're not allowed to listen to it. They'll end the conversation or change the conversation. Because they're in fear of losing their what they consider to be salvation over that. Which is why handing them a track uh, that's written for Jehovah's Witnesses is not a very effective way. I'm not saying none of them ever get saved that way. If they do, it's been a long process of other things happening prior to that that have caused them to take the opportunity to read it. Because most of them, the second they get it, they'll throw it in the trash can. They don't want to lose their salvation. If you come at them in a confrontational way, they're not going to listen to you. One of the best ways to approach them is to know where things are in their writings that are contradictory. And to ask them that question, can you explain this to me? I've, I've read this and it, it's confusing to me because here it says one thing, here it says another and ask them for clarity. 
So it's very difficult at best to reach a Jehovah's Witness with the gospel. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's difficult. Getting them to understand the error of what they believe is only half of the battle. Some people think, boy, if I could just get them out of that. Well, getting them out of that is only half the battle because you've got to understand something. They're holding on to this truth. They're grabbing hold of it. How many of you have seen them walking up and down the roads of your house? You've seen them doing that? All right. They do that because they have to do it. They, now, they say it's voluntary, but if you want to be saved, you have to do it. You have to serve. And they call it the pilgrim plot. Have you ever noticed how slow they walk? It's not how many doors they knock on, and they have to go a certain amount of time. And most of them don't enjoy doing it. They don't like going out. And so they do this very, very slow shuffle from door to door. They won't take literature. They just not watch tower. They won't believe anything that you say. So the question is, what can you do? I'm going to give you five things, and I'm just going to give them to you, and then we're going to be dealing with each of these over the next several weeks. The first thing that you can do to reach a Jehovah's Witness, the very first thing, and folks, I cannot say this enough, this one has to be first, and it has to be so far elevated above all of the others, because it is by far the most important one. And that is you need to bathe it in prayer. Folks, we need to have the wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God Himself. Because here's the problem. The Bible says that man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I know that's an Old Testament phrase in response to anointing David as king. But the truth of the matter is this. I cannot see his heart. I don't know what needs to be said to bring conviction, to bring understanding to his heart. But I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, and he can see that man's heart. And he does know what that man needs to hear. Having studied and understanding what they believe and knowing some things are going to be helpful, but there is nothing more important in reaching a Jehovah's Witness than bathing it in prayer and pleading with God to give us understanding and clarity of thought and clarity of mind to help us to recall the things that need to be said. Have you ever, you ever been witnessing to somebody and all of a sudden a verse will come to mind that you haven't even maybe thought of in a long time and you share that with them and all of a sudden it just makes sense to them? The Holy Spirit has a way to do that. To help us to recall the things that need to be said. And folks, I cannot emphasize this point above all of the others. The rest of them are practical things. They are things that we can do. But the very first one we've got to do is ask for God's Holy Spirit to lead us. To help us have understanding to know how to reach these folks. It must be done. Number two, we need to have a heart of compassion and they need to see it. If we have a heart of criticism, they're not going to listen. If we have a heart, and may, may God deliver us from this, of arrogance because we think we believe the truth and they don't, and they are beneath us because of that. Folks, but for the grace of God, we are no better than they. We are sinners saved by the grace of God, and they must see a compassionate heart. 
People can take an awful lot if they know you care about them. I was uh, I was listening to a, a, a session, a seminar a number of years ago. A fellow by the name of Mark Rasmussen, who was one of my college professors uh, back when I was in college, and he now teaches at another Bible college here in the country. And he was teaching uh, at a college in Tennessee, and a, a pastor friend of his came to visit, and he went up to Mark and he said, "Mark, how's your fruit?" And Mark kind of was like, well, uh, it's good. I've been teaching in Bible colleges for, for about 20 years. And, and uh, the, the pastor said, I didn't ask you that. He said, I want to know, how's your fruit? He said, how many people has God allowed you to personally lead to the Lord that are now involved in this church as a result of your service and your efforts to reach them? And Brother Mark, who had been a Bible college professor for about 20 years at that point, he got a little he got a little irritated at this younger pastor, this younger guy than him, and he thought, boy, that's how arrogant of this young man to ask me such a question. He went home, and he was telling his wife about it and expecting to get some sympathy from her, and said, honey, this, this preacher, he asked me well, how my fruit was. And she said, well, Mark, how is your fruit? And uh, he said, boy, that made me feel really, really low. So I started thinking. He said, the truth is, after 20 years of ministry, he said, I probably counted on two hands the number of people that I had personally won to the Lord and that I had personally helped disciple and got them into church. The next day, he went up to this preacher and he said, my fruit's not what it should be. The preacher looked at him and said, I can help you with that. And he turned around and walked away. Several months later, Brother Mark went to visit this preacher at his place and to make a short story long, he ended up going out there and going on staff, serving out there, and uh, became a, a, a person that uh, one of the professors at the Bible College at that person at that pastor's church. He was there the first week, and they went out to visit uh, some people that had come into church. They had visited the church a week or so before. He had a visitor's card that they had filled out, and it was time to go out. I think it was a Thursday night or maybe a Saturday morning. They went out. It was about 30, 40 minutes away from the church. He and his soul-winning partner went out, and they knocked on the door, went in and visited with these folks, and they were really sweet people, good people. And, uh, but they were from a, a non-denominational kind of word-of-faith type of a ministry. And so Brother Mark had a good visit with them, and he uh, finished uh, the visit, left the door open where he could come back, and just left, left on a good term so they could come back and visit with him some more. On the back of the card, he wrote a note. He said... Good visit, not our kind of people. And he turned it in. On Monday morning, the pastor met Brother Mark walking down the sidewalk. And he said, I want to see you in my office. <laughs> not the first thing, not the best thing you want to hear a week or so into your, first, your employment there. He goes into the office and this pastor's holding the card there in front of him. He said, Mark, I'm reading your, your card here. He said, we're in Southern California. Nobody here is our kind of people. He handed him the card back and said, go get them. Brother Mark was sharing this testimony, and he said, at that moment, I felt like a kid. He said, here I am, a, a, a doctorate, uh, earned doctorate, Bible college teacher of 20-some years, and I didn't know what to do. 
He said, I looked at the pastor, and all I could think to say was, how? You know what the pastor said without even blinking an eye? He said, have them over for dinner. Mark looked at him like that was the furthest thing from his mind. He'd never considered anything like that. And this pastor looked at him and said, Brother Mark, he said, people need to know how much you care before they'll care how much you know. You need to treat them like a friend. What do you do with friends? Have them over for dinner. Now, I'm not saying you've got to have a dinner with Jehovah's Witnesses, but folks, you've got to have compassion. You've got to show some concern for them. They come walking down that hot summer road. Give them a glass of iced tea and call them into your house and say, look, i got some questions. Would you answer them for me? Number three. You need to learn at least one truth. I shared this one with you last week. You need to learn at least one truth from their literature that contradicts itself. There's a lot of them, but at least get one. Number four, use their literature initially. Because, again, if you pull out your Bible and try to show them from your Bible, they're going to end the conversation or change the conversation and leave. The first thing you've got to do to them is you've got to make sure they understand that there's some question about their doctrine. And then the last thing, you need to control the conversation. I was watching a number of these things and getting some notes prepared, a number of encounters of pastors who uh, put things on YouTube showing how they've encountered Jehovah's Witnesses. I'll be honest with you. Uh, well, I'm always, I try to always be honest with you. I'm going to be very clear with you. Let me say it that way. Out of all of them that I watched, I don't know that any of them were very good. I, I think the pastors were sincere. I think the pastors certainly knew their Scriptures. And they knew the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And yet, to try to, 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 try to counter that, they would take their Bible, uh, the, the King James Bible, and they would try to show how their doctrine was wrong. And I watched, if I watched it once, I probably watched it 30 times in, in interactions between Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses, where the Jehovah's Witness will change the subject immediately and get on a different topic. Immediately. Why? Because they're not allowed to listen to or read anything that is contrary to their doctrine. And their doctrine is published in the Watchtower publications. It is controlled by the eight men that are in, in New York City. These eight men set the doctrine for the entire movement. They're not a church, they're a society. They don't meet in churches, they meet in halls. And there's a lot of them that are in it. And the reason they're in it, and we said this last week, is number one, they were either born into it, and that's all they know, or they were brought into it because they did not know their doctrine. I don't know how many times I've met a Jehovah's Witness who said, I used to be Baptist. And folks, that is so sad. Because the only reason, and, and, and they are actually trained and taught to look for this, to find people who cannot give an answer to the very doctrine that they claim to believe and hold to. You wonder why we emphasize doctrine in our church so much. You wonder why we teach on it so much from Scripture. Because we must know our doctrine. We've got to know it. It is of vital importance. It's not the most exciting preaching in the world. Unless you're hungering and thirsting for doctrine, then it becomes very exciting. 
but it's something that we absolutely must know. It's one of the highest, the highest emphasized things in Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine. Top of the list. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Top of the list, doctrine. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Folks, it's not enough for you to come to Keith the Heist Baptist Church and hear Brother Greg get up and teach on doctrine. You need to know your Bible because your doctrine doesn't come from the mind of Brother Greg. It does not. If you're trusting this brain for your doctrine, you are in bad trouble. It's got to come from this book, and you've got to be able to defend it. When they question it, you've got to come to them and say, but my Bible says this, and this is what I hold to. They look, they look for people those that they're trying to convert into Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs and doctrine, they look for people that are weak in their own doctrine. And so we've got to be careful of that. We're going to be dealing with some of these things over the next several weeks. Uh, I'll give you, I did not have printed material tonight because I wasn't sure how much time we are going to have with the crows being here with us. But um, uh, we'll have some writings and some things to hand out to you to get you started. And folks, I'll tell you, in four, five, six weeks, however long of a study this is going to be, it's not. It's just going to be a starting point. It's going to give you a framework. It's going to give you some place to begin. And then you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to labor. And if you truly want to have a heart to reach the Jehovah's Witnesses, you're going to have to put in some work. You're going to have to put in some study. You're going to have to know your doctrine. You're going to need to know a little bit about them. It's quarter after. I'm going to pray. And if you need to get on the road, you may go after that. But I'm going to see if the crows will come and do at least one more song for us. Can we do that? And if you need, if you just absolutely need to go, I understand. And you're not going to hurt our feelings. We're not going to think ill of you. We're just going to flatten your tires on Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do it. Um, anyway, also, if you would like to help with the crows, I know we took an offering Sunday. Some of you may have not come prepared to give Sunday. We do have an offering plate back there on the purple table. And if you'd like to help them along their way, uh, we do have an offering plate back there. Everything that comes in will go to them. If you're writing a check, um, let's make it out. You want to make it out to Keith Heights because we're going to put a, a check from us in there too. Uh, just make it out to Keith Heights Baptist Church and we'll add that to the amount that we're going to give them as a church as well from uh, the, the budget uh, to try to help them along their way. And uh, they don't ever, they live humble. They, they Probably most of the churches you're in are small churches, I would imagine. Uh, I've known them for many, many years. They never come and say, i got to have more money. i got to have this. i got to have that. They trust the Lord. And sometimes churches give them $30. And they get down the road, and it's costing them a fortune to try to just put fuel in their vehicle. I know that they have lived simply. They've learned how to be abased much more than they've learned how to abound. And so... Pray for them as they go. All right? Let's stand together. We dis- or not dismiss the prayer. We're going to stand. Well, stay seated. We're going to have you seat. Stay seated. The crows can come on up if they'd like. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer uh, while they're getting ready, and we'll have them sing another song. Father, we do thank you for your word and how it teaches and guides us. Lord, may we, as the weeks go by, give us understanding. May your Holy Spirit prick our hearts. May it grieve us the condition that these folks are in and the opportunities, perhaps, that we look back on 
where we could have done something to reach them and we did not. May we have a heart for them. I pray that you bless the crows as they go about their ministry, leaving tomorrow, that you'll give them traveling mercies and safety as they go. Thank you for their ministry and sharing with us and being a blessing and a help to us. And, Father, we do pray that you will guide and direct their days ahead as they labor in ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
such a fierce snarl. Take a closer look. It's nothing at all. God conquers all. I don't know if this stuff, but I need to do it on the